0: You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Uh, Good morning. Welcome to Friends and Family Day at Impact Church. Man, this is a, a special day because we only do it once a year. And you guys are a part of Friends and Family Day 2023, so thank you for that. Uh, What we're going to do for you is we're going to love you, we're going to welcome you, and then we do have some food after service, which may be why some of you are here. Praise God for that. We're going to eat at least some hot dogs and some chips and some oatmeal cream pies, which are my favorite. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to have some of that. So all that's going to be in the gym. We've moved it from outside because some of us are from Georgia and we don't like the cold. So we're going to be in the gym after service. So what I am going to ask you to do, parents, is go pick your kids up right after service and then just come back out here and fellowship a little bit while we get set up in the gym. That's just a little admin thing for you right there. But, um, man, this is, this is what I know. Every Sunday, whether it's Friends and Family Day or not at Impact Church, it's all about Jesus for us. And it always has been, and it always will be. He is the reason that we meet every single week. He is the reason that we we even care about this thing called church. He's the reason that we want to know, hey, what should we be doing with our life? And I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question, but how many of you have said, hey, what is the purpose of my life? Let's just be honest in this place. What, what am I supposed to be doing? What, what job am I supposed to have? Where am I supposed to go next? What am I supposed to buy? All these questions. The ultimate question is, hey, what is God's will in this situation? That's really what we're asking ourselves, whether we're really asking ourselves that question or not. And I've been there. I've been there. I remember being a a senior in high school, and I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was, but it was a long time ago now that I was a senior in high school. And I had all these questions like, what college am I supposed to go to? What am I supposed to major in? Like, what am I even doing with my life? What's happening? So I decided I would help God out as much as possible. So I went to four different colleges, changed my major like three times, and got a degree. I don't even know if it's real or not. But here I am, and I decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to help God with all these these things. I'm just going to do all this different stuff, and one of them's got to be right. Right? Something, something I do's got to be the right choice. But if we're honest we always have these questions. What am I supposed to be doing? What am I going to do next? What is the purpose of my life in general? Why am I here? What is God's will for my life? And man, that is a, a tough question. Because if you think about it, you, you really start to question a lot of different things that's happened over the course of however old you are, over that many years, right? And we start thinking, well, man, was that God's will? Was that God's will? Is this God's will? What is the will of God? And I don't want to promise you that through a four-week series, all of your questions are going to be answered. That's not what I want to do, but my prayer for us is that over the next four weeks, we will understand a little more about God's will. And then we can take practical steps to begin to live in that more and more and more. And I'm, I'm almost going to guarantee you that after these four weeks are up, you're still going to have some questions. But I want you to know that having questions, that's okay. It's okay for you to have questions. It's okay for you to wonder things. It's okay for you to ask those tough questions questions. But what we have to always keep in mind, and we have to be grounded in the fact that God is who He says He is. And because He is who He says He is, all these questions, right, they will be answered one day. We have to have the faith that He is working in the midst of all the stuff going on in our life. Paul In Ephesians chapter 5, he he starts Ephesians chapter 5, we're only going to read verse 17, but I want to give you some context. He starts Ephesians 5 saying this, Therefore be imitators of God. So he says, therefore be imitators of God. So therefore is a word where we have to go back. So what is he talking about in chapter 4? In chapter 4 he's talking about, hey, this is how you live as a Christ follower. These are the things that you should do. And then in chapter 5 he says, so therefore... You need to walk like Christ. You need to be like Jesus. And you're thinking, okay, yeah, that's awesome, man. I can't do that, right? Hey, Amen. We can't be just like Jesus. But Paul says, hey, this is, the, this is the aim for you. This is the aim for a Christ follower is to be more and more like Jesus. And you're like, that, okay, well, that's cool. And then he starts talking about, hey, so don't do these things. Do these things. And then in verse 17, he says this. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I'm like, okay, man, that's a good verse. Like, I don't want to be foolish. I want to understand what the will of God is. But that doesn't help me understand what the will of God is by reading that verse. Right? But I think that's a good verse for us because I don't want us to be foolish. I want us to understand the will of God. But in order to understand the will of God, I think we have to at least talk about two different types of, of wills, right? Because God has different wills, and I know this is a little confusing, and my prayer is that after today, it's, it's at least clear to us that there are two different wills at least of God. And number one is, there is the sovereign will of God. And what this means is, if God says it, it's going to happen. This means that if God decrees it, it will happen. For instance, he said, let there be light. There was light. There was a necessary consequence to the decree of God. There's no one else or nothing else in history that can can do this. right? We think we have this ability as parents sometimes. It's like, I say this, so it shall be. And then my family's like, yeah, not happening, man. You ain't who you think you are. Right? I don't have the power to, to make them do something. I don't have the power that, that God has in His sovereignty to say, hey, this is the decree and this is what will happen. We see this in the life of Jesus when He's in the garden and He's praying. And He says, hey, if there's any other way for, for you to save the world, please do it because I don't necessarily want to go to the cross. Because he understands the agony that's about to take place. He understands not just the physical pain, which he had to endure, but the pain of of really bearing the sin of the world on his shoulders. And then he says, hey, but not my will, your will be done. This is the sovereign will of God where he says, hey, this is going to happen, and I'm going to make sure that it happens. And what happens a lot of times for us is when we... When we pray to, for God to show us His will, what we're really asking is, hey, I want you to show me your sovereign will. And the reality is, most of the time, God doesn't show us His sovereign will. It is, it is His, and it's really called, some people call it the mysterious will of God. And Paul even mentions that in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. This is what Paul's saying. Hey, so the mysterious will of God, the sovereign will of God, is that one day everything will be His. That one day everything will be united back to Him. And how He does that that's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about the results. The ultimate sovereign will of God is that everything will be reconciled to himself. Everything on earth. Every human, every animal, every bad thing that happens just with the planet itself. Right? Everything will be reconciled back to God. That is his sovereign will. And a lot of times when we pray and we say, Hey God, what college do you want me to go to? We're trying to figure out all these different things. And God, His ultimate sovereign will is that people will one day be reconciled back to Him. Now, here's the deal. In that sovereignty, He also has what's called the perceptive will of God. And what this means is that we know that in Scripture He has commands for us. He has commands for us, but he offers us free will, and we can say yes, or we can say no. This is the kind of will we have as parents. We think we have the sovereign will. We don't, but we do have this perceptive will, right? And we say, hey, you can't be on your, your phone past 9 p.m. And then our kid has the choice to obey or disobey. And if you have kids like me, they usually choose the latter. And then there's consequences for that. This is the perceptive will of God. We know that the will of God is, if you just think about the Ten Commandments, right? don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, all these things, those are the perceptive will of God. He establishes these commands and these laws and this moral compass, and then He gives us the free will to either say yes or no. But the law still is established because of His sovereignty. So when He says, hey, you must be perfect because I'm perfect, that is a, that's a perceptive will, but it comes from His sovereignty. So because He says you must be perfect, that's the bottom line. In order to have a relationship with God, there has to be some sort of righteousness. And then you can sit there and say, yeah, well, that's not me. And get, that's not me either. So congratulations that all of us realize that none of us are righteous. And none of us are perfect. Which is the reason He sent Jesus on a rescue mission for us. It's the reason that when we accept Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, then all of His righteousness is imputed unto us. And that we are considered and counted righteous. But the two different wills is really important for us because I think that we, we must begin to operate in the perceptive will of God and just trust that the sovereign will of God, there's nothing we can do anyway. right? We don't have a choice in that. We don't have any skin in that game. It is His sovereignty. But the perceptive will is where He gives us the free will to make the choices. And I think if we can begin to operate in that lane, of his will, then things begin to get a little more clear for us. And the first thing we do is we go to Scripture and say, well, what is the will of God? And in Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about this is, this is one of the ways that you can determine what the perceptive will of God is. In verse 2 he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is the important part of this verse that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is what Paul's saying. If you really want to discern what the perceptive will of God is, then you must have a changed mind your mind has to be different. We talked about that in our last series about allowing the Spirit to change our mindset. We begin to think on spiritual things and not on worldly things. The more that we think on spiritual things, the more that we understand the will of God. And again, all of this sounds great. Right? It's like, man, that sounds pretty simple. I still have no clue what the will of God is for my life. And some of you may be in that boat right now that you just don't know. You don't realize what it is. You don't have a clue. And scripture does talk to this. And I don't want to tell you what the will for your life is. I want the Bible to tell you what it is. I want God to speak to you through his spirit in this place. How many of you now know what your will is, or what the will of God is, what your purpose is? All right, great. So here's the deal there's this thing that I don't want to say that this is a will of God, but it's kind of been it's kind of been taken and it's been taught and they call it the permissive will of God and it, it's really where bad things happen and people say, well, why did this happen? How could this be God's will? When kids are hurt or when people are abused or when, when people are mistreated or when something bad really happens in your life and you think, well, if God is really a loving God, then how could He do that? So this this concept of God's permissive will has really taken form. And the permissive will is really that God just allows things to happen because of our free will. Because He allowed Adam and Eve free will. They jacked it up with some sin. And then ever since then, it's just been sin, 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 sin. And the more sin, the further away from God that you get. And God allows things to happen. And that's a big question that as a pastor I get a lot of times. Is if God is really God, if He really has the ability to stop things from happening, why doesn't He stop things from happening? If He really is so loving, then why does He allow people to go through so much hurt and so much brokenness and so much confusion? If God is who everybody says He is in the church world, then why am I going through this right now in my life? And the answer is, I don't know why you're going through that in your life. What I do know is that in God's sovereignty, somehow He works all things together for the good of those who love Him. And this permissive will, some some call it the passive will of God, and I want you to know that God is never passive. That we don't serve a passive God that even in His permitting, He is actively permitting and actively working on the behalf of those who love Him. There is no such thing as a passive God that I serve. I don't serve a God who's like a helpless father saying, I wish my kids just weren't doing that and I can't do anything about it. No, that's not how God is. God at any moment could step into your sin, to my sin and say, hey, no more. But He doesn't do that. He says, hey, it's your choice. I love you. I love you. I love you. And He constantly is pouring out reminders of His love in our life. And the more that we go through pain and the more that we go through hurt and the more that we go through situations that we don't really want to be in, the more we look at God and say, hey, it's your fault. You could stop this. You could have stopped this from happening when I was a little kid. You could have stopped my mom from leaving. You could have stopped my dad from leaving. You could have stopped my husband from abusing me. You could have stopped me from having these addictions. You could have stopped me from all of this stuff. And we begin to point fingers at God and say it's your fault. And God in His love and in His sovereignty says, hey, I've given you the choice to live life. And if you're a parent, you know what this feels like. You know, as a parent, there's so many times that you try to, you try to push your kids the right direction. You try to get them on the right path and they're making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And there's a time as a parent where you say, man, you have to figure this out on your own. Because if you would grab them and you would snatch them out of that, their life would be nothing but you controlling them. And God's not a Father who wants to control your life. He's a Father who wants you to come to Him on your own and say, hey, I want you and all of you. And then we make the decision to allow Him control. See, there's a difference in people saying, hey, it's God's fault. And people taking responsibility and saying, hey, so it's I've made these decisions. And sometimes it wasn't your decision to make. Sometimes the pain that you go through is because of someone else. Sometimes the hurt that you go through, you did nothing wrong. You are a victim and there's someone at fault for that. And those people need to be held accountable for what they do. But in God's sovereignty, He's working things out for His glory in the background that we can't even see. And you say, well man, that doesn't seem very fair that God is working these things out so that He can get the glory. Why do I have to go through this when He's the the one getting the glory? And this is what we must understand. This is a fundamental principle for us as human beings. Is that we were created for the sole purpose to bring glory to God. That we weren't created for us to be happy. Now we want to be happy. But we weren't created for that purpose. We were created solely to bring glory to God. That's the reason that He created us. And that's what He's doing in the background in His sovereignty is working things out so that He gets glory. Now, through that, people's lives are forever changed. Through that, people now have the ability to begin a relationship with Him. Through that, people who would be so hopeless and so broken because God has saved other people, they can now share His love with these people that are hurting and broken. It's a beautiful picture of how God is truly reconciling everything back to Himself. But as we live these struggles and these pains and these addictions and these whatever fill in the blank for you, it doesn't look like a beautiful picture at all. It looks like a a picture that we would never want to draw and we would never want colored and we would never want hanging up on the walls of our house. And once we get to the place in our walk with Jesus where we say, hey, so I don't understand this and I do have questions and I don't like what's going on. But I trust that you are loving, that you are good, and that you are working things out. That's when life begins to change and that's when we truly begin to understand and live in the will of God. There's a story in Scripture about Joseph. There's a lot of Josephs. This is just one of those stories. And it's not the stepdad of Jesus. We're going to do that next month. We're not doing that yet. It's not Christmas time. So for all you Christmassy in November people, something's wrong with you. But we will have a special place of prayer for you right after service. So I just want you to know that I am not one of those people. I'm Christmas on December 23rd. Possibly this year for sure. December 24th, maybe. December 25th, yes, and that's it. Christmas is over at that point for me. But Joseph had, this is Old Testament story in the book of Genesis. Joseph, he, he was the youngest brother of some, some really big jerks. I know what that's like. Um, so, what happens is, Joseph is amazing. He's a, he's a great kid. His his father loves him the most. He gets this fancy coat. And it's a long story. It's like 20-something chapters. We're not going through 20 chapters today. I'm going to give you the cliff notes. How many of you used Pink Monkey back in the day when you were in school? Okay, cool. Kyle. That's right, dude. Yeah, so what that means is we didn't read the books. So we had to go to the Pink Monkey and get the cliff notes. Um, and that worked for us because I do have a degree that I think is real. So as as Joseph is living life with his brothers and his father is loving him so much and showing him so much attention and Joseph has some dreams that show that his brothers are going to bow down to him. He has another dream that shows that his whole family is going to bow down to him and they're like, no man, this ain't going to happen. We're killing this dude. We don't like him. We're going to kill him. And then they decide, hey, we're not going to kill him. Let's just throw him in in a well and... Yeah, you know, whatever happens, happens, and then they decide, hey, let's actually sell him because then we can get something for him, right? Let's do something cool. So they sell him. He gets sold, and all this stuff happens to him. A lot of stuff happens to him. He he gets sold. Potiphar is this dude's name. Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. He gets thrown in prison. He meets people. All this stuff happens in his life. And then ultimately, he ends up number two in the structure of government, right? And there's a big famine that takes place, and his brothers and his family, right, they end up coming and they're like, hey, we need food or we're going to die. This is, this is Cliff Notes' version. There's a lot in this story. But what happens is this guy. Is, is so abused by family. He's falsely accused of rape. He, he goes to prison for no reason. All of this bad stuff is happening to him. And then when his family comes, he says, hey, so what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That all this stuff that you try to do to me, that you meant for evil, for, for bad against me, yet yeah, was bad. Yes, I didn't want to go through it. Yes, it was a part of my life that just, it really sucked, right? It just wasn't good. And he says, hey, but all this stuff that you meant for evil, God meant for good. And this is how God works is that when evil comes upon you, hey, God can turn all that misery into ministry. That's what He specializes in. He specializes in all the misery that you go through, turning that to something good, glorifying Him, and then helping other people through the misery that you got helped through. So God's will ultimately is this. In 1 Timothy, it says, God desires all people to be saved. And then 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Here's the will of God, the perceptive will of God. Now, if the sovereign will of God was for all people to be saved, there's a necessary consequence, all people would be saved. So this is the perceptive will of God where he says, hey, my, what I really want is for all people to be saved. I want all people to come to repentance. Meaning I want all people to know that they're sinners in need of a Savior. I want all people to realize that they need something spiritually and they can't do it for themselves. I want them to know that I took care of that for them by sending Jesus on a rescue mission for them. I want them to know that when Jesus stood up on his nail-pierced feet and said, it is finished, that it counted for them. I want them to know that he defeated death, that he rose from the grave, and that he's alive today mediating for us. He says, and I want that to lead them to repentance. The kindness of God. The kindness and the grace and the love of God leads us to repentance. And repentance is is really a, a word that the church has just used a lot. What that means is, hey, I know I'm a sinner, and I don't want to live this way anymore, so I'm going to go and I'm going to run after Jesus. And Second Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. And this is Peter talking about Him coming back, because He is coming back one day, and when He comes back, the sovereign will of God of all things being reconciled will take place when He comes back. So they're asking, hey, when is, when is Jesus coming back? When is when is he coming to, to take over and to rule forever and everything's perfect? When is that happening? And Peter says, hey, so he's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. No, but he's not willing that any should perish. His perceptive will is to give us a chance of repentance. So you're in this place today, and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're in this place today, and maybe you're sitting there thinking, I, I'm not even sure I need a relationship with Jesus. And you're here today, and God's saying, hey, so my perceptive will for you is that you come to repentance. And maybe you're in this place today by the sovereign will of God, and He said, hey, they're going to be there today, and guess what? You're here. Because that was the necessary consequence. And His perceptive will is that you would come to repentance. And maybe today is the day of salvation for you. And maybe some of you are still just so hurt and so broken. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. And I've been talking to a lot of people over the last month who have been hurt by the church, the the local church, people who they should be able to trust. Leaders who they should be able to go to for shepherding. And these leaders are more like wolves to them and tear them apart spiritually. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've experienced that in a church. Man, I want to apologize to you and say, hey, that should never happen. Is that we're all imperfect people. And we're all taking steps of faith together. And that we're all engaging a perfect God with a perfect, sovereign will. And that nobody's better than anybody else. And that if you've been hurt, then your voice needs to be heard. And people need to be held accountable. So with the perceptive will of God, and we're going to close here, with the perceptive will of God, it doesn't mean that because here's the the command of God is for people not to lie. Let's just use, use this example. He says, hey, don't lie. And then someone begins to gossip about you. They're lying about you. And it tears say it tears your marriage apart because they lied so much that your spouse believed them. And when it tore your marriage apart, then your kids' lives went crazy. And then your kids grew up the way that you didn't want them to grow up. And all of this stuff happened because someone lied. And God doesn't say that it's okay that they lied. He says, hey, no, my command is this. I decreed that you don't do this. They will be held accountable for that. But in the meantime, as you're going through all this stuff, He's working things together for you and for your good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let me just let me read this to you. This is about Joseph. This is all the stuff that happened in Joseph's life. And I want you to see how powerful this is and how amazing God is, even when we don't think so. It says, If Joseph's brothers never sold him to the Midianites, then Joseph would have never gone to Egypt. If Joseph never went to Egypt, he would never have been sold to Potiphar. If Joseph was never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife would never have falsely accused him of rape. If Potiphar's wife never falsely accused Joseph of rape, then Joseph would never have been put in prison. And so far, it's like, yes, yeah, so none of that sounds good. If Joseph was never put in prison, he would never have met the baker and butler of Pharaoh. If Joseph never met the baker and butler of Pharaoh, he would have never interpreted their dreams. If Joseph never interpreted their dreams, he would have never interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. If Joseph never interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he never would have become prime minister second in Egypt only to Pharaoh. If Joseph never became prime minister, he never would have wisely prepared for the terrible famine to come. If Joseph never wisely prepared for the terrible famine, then his family back in Canaan would have died in the famine. Listen to this. If Joseph's family back in Canaan died in the famine, then the Messiah could not have come because the family would have been dead. If the Messiah did not come forth, then Jesus never came. If Jesus never came, then we were all dead in our sins with no hope. See, Jesus came from his family the family that he saved because of all the bad stuff he went through. God sovereignly worked all of this out, and Jesus comes forth from this family. And then He rescues humanity from their sin. We now have hope because of Jesus. And we can look back at the life of Joseph and say, all this sounds horrible. This is bad. Nobody wants to go through this pain. Nobody wants to go through this kind of stuff. And God is constantly working in the background. And the Messiah, the Son of God, comes from this family to save the world from their sin this is the God that we serve and the will of God is that all people would come to repentance and throughout this series we're going we're to see more of the practicality of living in that mission but it all starts here it all starts with the repentance of man And he made that possible by sending Jesus. And he fulfilled prophecy because of all the junk that Joseph went through. And it led to the Messiah coming from that family. You see, this is the stuff that our God does. If we could just trust in that, if we could just trust that he's a good father who loves us, And I know that it's it's so hard sometimes because of the stuff that we go through. It's, It's so hard to really believe that He's so good. But here's the goodness of God that we as humans, as sinful people, deserve an eternity separated from Him in a place called hell. And because of his goodness, he said, hey, I don't want that for you. I don't want your sin to send you to hell. No, instead, I'm going to put your sin on the back of my one and only son. All you have to do is say yes to him. All you have to do in this place today is say yes to Jesus. Will you say yes this morning? Let's stand together. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.